Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, good gardening, folks, and thank you, Mr. Kelly. You're wearing a blues hat. Why not the Cardinals, you dirty rat? Uh, it's always hockey season. Ah, uh, yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> you and Greg both have blues hats on. This is sad. You guys are jinxing the Cardinals. Anyway, folks, thanks for stopping by, and we'll be, we will be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape, your annuals, your perennials, whatever it happens to be, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. So. Greg will answer the phone. He'll ask you your first name and where you're calling from, and that's about, and then he'll put you on the computer screen. First come, first serve. And so every Saturday morning we get together and we discuss your yard, garden, landscape, houseplants, potting mixes, soil improvement, pruning, bugs, diseases, planting, removals, and best of everything else in the outdoors and inside too. So if you're concerned about your houseplants, then uh, they're still inside because you don't want to move them outside. But uh, remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take physical and mental efforts on your part in this great marathon called gardening. And uh, the sprints just don't work. I mean, there's like flash, flash dance, I guess, very fast, and then they're gone. So anyway, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg again. He's producing, and I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, so a landscape evaluation, answering the questions you have specifically, specifically, as well as the things that I notice this may be having an impact on some of the things that are going on in your landscape. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This is the last weekend of spring. It's really, wow. Oh, how about a tour de jardin? That's Mike and Tracy's jardin. The sunlight was pushing through the sugar maple foliage. Mugle pine growth is leaning away from that shade of that sugar maple, and uh, it's stuck between the sugar maple and the house, and how well is it doing? It's not doing too bad. So I'm going to do some pruning on it this wintertime. And below that uh, mugo pine, there's three varieties of hosta. One of them is blooming. There's uh, two different varieties of the purple coral bells and a couple different ferns as well. And the carpeting underneath all that is gold moss and yellow moneywort. Some people call it yellow creeping jenny. I like moneywort better. That's a British. According to Ancestry.com, I have so much British in me, I can't believe it. So anyway, the other two sugar maples that are street trees, 
uh, they've got the gold moss going underneath them as well. My zoysia lawn looks pretty darn good. Emerald green. I did fertilize my front, no, my backyard last Wednesday, I think. And I'm going to fertilize the front yard today after the show is over. So I use Liquifeed. You know, so that's just my own personal choice, and uh, it works very easy. I hook a attachment up to the hose and just screw a bottle in and walk around and squirt it out here, there, and everywhere. I've got hyacinth bean vines, and uh, they, I've got them in two different places, trellises in the front and a cyclone fence in the back, and they're really starting to kind of explode as far as the growth goes. I mean, I'm probably getting about 15, well, 12 to 15 inches of growth every day. So it's like, whoa. And my four knockout roses, they're in pots. Uh, I've already pruned them. I, what I did, I wanted to see if the, really the pruning makes that much difference after the flush. So three of them I cut back, you know, down to the five leaflet type thing. And one of them I just let, a, you know, I let everything go, and I wanted to see if it's going to make that much difference at all. So, I'm sure I've done it in the past, but I wanted to redo it again. And they're all pushing out the red tone foliage and probably going to be in flower in another couple weeks. So the front door containers I have filled with sweet potato vines, a couple different varieties, two different varieties of begonias, and some dark leaf cannas. And sweet alyssum, that's one of my favorite plants. I always buy packs of it and just sprinkle it around in various places. And it does self-seed, so it does spread on its own. So... I'm just trying to get a lot of sweet alyssum going. My kaffir lilies look good. I've cut off the spent flower stalks and uh, the front patio uh, that overlooks Christie Park uh, with cannas and begonias. That combination very looks very, very tropical. Around back, Tracy's solar bottle tree stands out. Sharp contrast to the canna and elephant ear pots. And I've got sweet potato vines that are cascading out of an old wash tub. And a couple potted my knockout roses, two in front, two in the back. And they're pretty much equal growth as far as the exposure and everything else. The front gets a little, I guess, meh. You probably get about an equal amount of sun, even though the exposure is slightly different. And uh, Tracy, when we were in, out of town a couple weeks ago, we were at this place called uh, Patty's Settlement, I believe it is. And they had a small peacock farm. I mean, they had a huge cage. And eight or ten or twelve or you know peacocks in there, and it was mating season, so the males were going nuts. Anyway, they were had their tail feathers spun or <laughs> spread out all over the place, and then consequently, she found a peacock banner. So now we have a peacock banner along with some other things near our back door, as well as more sweet alyssum is also uh, streetside beds. I've got one that has some zoysia grass in it. The rest of them do have the gold moss. And then behind the garage on the alley, the lemon verbena, I've cut it back for the second time this year. That stuff is just amazingly dramatic. And uh, what it does is I've got also purple comb flowers that are in full bloom right now. They are so striking. And a lot of the stuff I didn't put back there. It's seeds have been brought in or blown in or whatever from neighbors down the alley. So purple comb flowers were not planted by me. It's uh, from the people across the alley and down a little bit. But uh, anyway, that's the tour de jardin of Mike and Tracy's garden. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Remember, if you're going to go out and cut your grass, it's better to do it earlier in the morning because of the heat. I mean, it generates, you know, on your body and everything else. But also make sure your mower blades are sharp. And that makes a huge difference. You don't want the ends of the mower of the lawn blades, lawn blades, lawn grass blades, uh, frayed off. Because that's what, uh, let's say, a dull mower blade does. It doesn't make a nice clean cut. Clean cut makes it so it heals quicker. And so that's going to reduce the chances of fungus problems. And we got humidity like this, especially this early in the year. It's just, you know, it's absolutely phenomenal. But as I said when the opening of the show, this is the last weekend of spring, so party on for summer. Gloria lives in Springfield, Illinois. Gloria, how are you? Good morning, uh, Mike. I'm fine. How are you doing? Very good. All right. I, uh, I know you were talking about bag, bagworms, I think, last week, but I ha- had to leave the uh, radio. Uh, well, all of a sudden I'm looking at my redbud tree in the backyard, and I see that it has bagworms on it. And I went out and looked. And they look dried. You're probably seeing the seed pods on your redbud tree. All right. So what do you suggest? I don't want to lose that tree. That tr- those this is the redbud is in the pea family. So those are pea pods. Basically, is what you're seeing. So in other words, when you have the spring flowers, they get pollinated, and then those pods are formed as a result of the uh, flowering. So this is nothing to worry about whatsoever. This is just a natural occurrence with the redbud trees. Oh, okay. So I just, uh, I don't have to pull them off or anything? No. Okay. I mean, sometimes some of the bigger trees, they get so many on it. Certain years, it seems like a lot of times, whether it's an oak, whether it's a redbud or dogwood or anything else, it's, you know, every other year it may fluctuate as far as the amount of flowering, consequently the amount of pods. But consequently, those are not, you know, bagworms whatsoever. Okay, fantastic. And one other quick question. I have, uh, I bought a pot of uh, Gerber daisies, and I have it <clears throat> facing uh, south. And then I, have, I bought a second one, which I have in a, uh, in a, um, a patio area uh, covered. So I'm wondering, the, the one in the front, with, which gets a lot of the sun, by the middle of the day, it's drooping terribly. Right. It must be, I mean, does it need more shade? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, Gerber daisy can take the sun. Realize they're a relatively short live plant, so don't expect, you know, let's see, in September or October still having the Gerber daisy. But they can take it. What they're, if they're wilting down, you know, you can get into a panic, but it won't help. The best thing to do is if it does wilt down, go out early in the morning the next morning. And if it's wilted at that time the next morning, then that means it's the soil is dry and you you need to add water. But nope. be very careful with them. Don't overwater them because you can cause some real damage to them. Oh, okay, because uh, when I see it wilting, I just give it a little bit of water during the middle of the day. Is that bad? Well, you don't need to do it. I don't need to do it. Yeah. Okay. All right, great. Thanks very much, Mike. I listen every week. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Okay. All right. And let's go from Springfield, Illinois, to Winfield, Missouri, into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, I had a question about clover in my yard, in the lawn, if it could be sprayed this time of the year. Oh, any herbicide, when it's this hot, you could do some major damage. So just, okay. I mean, you could try it, but I would just, you know, I wouldn't do it when it's this hot, to be honest with you. 
But okay, if you, if you want to try you know, a small area like a foot square and see what the, like the weed be gone or whatever you're using for you know the clover control, see if it's going to damage any of the grass blades that are coming up within the clover. But when it, okay. usually and also the best thing to do is always read the label because there's usually you know uh, information related to temperature and spraying and things like that where it's too cold to spray because it's not going to be effective or too hot because it could do some damage to other things as well. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, clover is a real aggravation too because if you have the one, there's a couple different kinds of clover, but the Dutch white clover, it's so aggressive and so invasive. All of a sudden you have a small patch and then a couple weeks, you know, I don't want to say a couple of weeks, but even a week or, you know, 10 days later, it's about three times the size. It's really a mean weed. So thanks, Mike. And now let's come back in a little bit to Maryland Heights into Susan's yard. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Thank, I, I have a question, a couple of questions. First of all, I have a fairly successful uh, container garden on my balcony. I'm in a townhouse mm-hmm. and I've got lots of tomato plants, herbal plants, vining flowers and such. I'm running into a problem four years now with ants, and I don't know if you have any suggestions. I've tried getting them from the ground because they're coming up the post. Out of everything I've tried, used coffee ground seems to be working the best, but they're still coming up and they I go to water one of the containers and they just come flooding out of there. I don't know if you have any suggestions for that. Probably the best thing to do is, you know, just sort of deal with them as you have been doing in the past this, you know, but I would then dump your pots and get, because they're probably, they're coming up maybe from someplace on out of the ground, but that's a long way for them to go. And if they have come up, they're not going to go back all the way down to a hole in the ground. So they've probably got, they've colonized with inside your pots. So okay. that's why I'm saying, you know, dump your potting mix out. You don't have to necessarily throw it away. Dump it, stir it, you know, whatever you can do. You know, get a Rubbermaid tub or something, put it in there, one pot at a time, and then, you know, then go ahead and use an ant killer on it. When you dump the pot out, you're going to see if there's ants there and just, you know, use an insecticide for killing ants. I was worried about an insecticide, even the organic ones, because I don't want to hurt the bees and the birds and and my animals that go out up there. I don't want anything to, to kill them. Well, um, you I, know, do. I would say then, you know, f- don't worry so much about the ants. They're not really doing all that much problem. <laughs> <laughs> They're <laughs> aggravating, I have to agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a valid point. Also, I want to plant a couple of uh, dwarf shrubs. It gets full sun, and the clay, it's, there's a lot of clay in the soil on the ground there. And I've looked at boxwood. I just want something really small because I have to go through the association to get permission. Do you have any suggestions about those? Yeah, boxwood I wouldn't probably recommend for a circumstance like that. I would say mm-hmm. if you want something really small, and even the you know, microphylla, in other words, a small leaf boxwood, it's still going to get pretty darn big. Why don't you look at okay. a plant called heavenly bamboo? It's not bamboo. It's just a common name, but it's Nandina, N-A-N-D-I-N-A, Nandina, and it's going to stay relatively small probably. I mean, I have seen a few of them that have gotten it maybe two to three feet high. But for the most part, depending upon the variety you get, you can look at the tag before you purchase that particular one you're going to buy. And because it's, you know, they're pretty much evergreen. They give you, you know, some of them have more color on the foliage. So that's probably what I would look at as opposed to a boxwood. 
They'll grow well in the clay soil. Yeah, well, you're going to have to, you know, nothing grows well in the clay soil. So you're going to have to dig the hole yeah. three times the diameter and mix in some, you know, compost with the soil. Does humus manure work all right? Uh, I prefer compost, but if you want to use a manure, that's fine. As long as it's been composted. No, I mean, certainly you're not going to use fresh manure. No. Right. No. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, manure just, it doesn't have enough different, let's say, textures to it because the problem with the clay soils are they compact down and that's how they make bricks out of it. They compact clay soil. So the yeah. compost has all kinds of different, you know, textures and everything else that keeps the clay soil from baking back down and becoming a brick. Okay. That makes sense. And the manure really doesn't have that capability. That's true. Good point. Well, good right, luck, so Susan. <laughs> Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Jump the River, Fairview Heights, and that's where Barbara lives. Hi, Barbara. Good morning. I am having a problem with my sweet potato vines. Something is eating the leaves off from them. I live on a small lake, and I've never had a problem with the ducks or geese um, I plant sweet potato vines close to a wing wall, and usually by now I have three to four feet mm -hmm. of vines that I'm, you know, throwing over the, you know, the the, the wing wall. Right. And by midsummer, it is covered with these beautiful vines. But right now, all I have is stems. Something is getting to my sweet potato vines, and I I don't know what it is but I'm wondering what I could use as a deterrent. Um, there are groundhogs in the area. There are <laughs> ducks and geese, and, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to, you know, make you think it's a wildlife sanctuary. We don't have deer, so I know it's not deer. We usually don't, you know, have deer coming up into the yard. Right. But uh, is there anything that I can put on these leaves, you know, as a deterrent to little critters? Basically, my guess is rabbits. I don't think, okay. the, you know, the ducks are not going to do that. I mean, it's been so dry and so hot. A lot of things, you know, animal-wise, they're looking for anything to eat that has moisture to it. And because sweet potato vines has, the leaf is not really thick, not like hosta or something, but it still has a you know, pretty considerable amount of leaves. So they could just sit there and chew, and then, you know, then they got the moisture as a result of that. Because they don't really want to go down to the edge of the lake and try to drink out of a lake. Rabbits just can't do that. So, I mean, you could get some just, you know, repellents and things like that and sprinkle it around and see if you can keep the rabbits away as a result of that. Okay, and this is something that I can purchase at? Vir virtually any kind of garden center. Year-round garden, garden center. And, you know, I mean, probably big box stores may have it too. I mean, Bonite has a couple different products for repellents. Just go in and, okay. you know, check it out and go from that. Okay. I will give that a try. Thank you. Yeah. I, definitely it's not the ducks doing it. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. Uh-oh, my screen just dropped, Greg. Okay, let's go to Virginia. Virginia, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Very good. We have a Japanese loose leaf maple, and it has white stuff on the stems that seems to be killing the bush. 
it started last year, and I thought maybe it was a mold, and I thought maybe with the the cold winter it would kill it. But it uh, it it leaved out this spring, which surprised me. But now it's come back, and it's kind of killing the bush. What can we do for that? Now you really should, probably rather than just guessing, I would take one of the you know one of the stems, one of the small branches or whatever, to your favorite garden center and let them figure out what it is. Because, I mean, scale could be an insect that could be causing a problem, but you'd have to have a heck of a lot of scale to kill a tree. The Japanese maples in general, especially if this is one of the smaller ones with the really fine leaf texture, they have had a brutal two years in a row. I've seen some that have been well-established for a long period of time by people that are very, very good gardeners. And there was nothing they could do. They couldn't battle the weather. So my thinking is it may be scale, but it's probably not the scale. I think it's more weather-wise than anything else. Oh. But take a branch to your favorite garden center. Let them look at it and see if this is scale, S-C-A-L-E. There's a couple different kinds of scale. Some of them look like just flicks of white paint. But usually they're not on Japanese maples. That's what it looks like, paint. Yeah. So you could take it okay. and have them look at it, but I, you know, my guess is it's not really going to be scale. It's all weather dependent. Okay. Thank you so much for your help. Sure. Yeah, it's an unfortunate thing. I mean, our weather has just been so horrible for certain plant groups, and the Japanese maples, especially the ones that dissectums, the very ferny leafed ones that you know have us. Their height is set. They get wider, but they don't get any taller. They have really had a tough couple years. So thanks, Virginia. And now let's go to Ted in Fenton. Hi, Ted. Hi, Mike. Enjoy your show. Listen every Saturday morning. Well, great. Um, My parents have a very healthy crepe myrtle. We can cut it off at the ground, and it gets to be 12, 14 feet during the course of the summer. Um, About two weeks ago, I tried to take a portion of it and the roots and replanted at my house. And it doesn't look like it's coming back. It doesn't uh, have any, uh, well, it's got very few green leaves that are even actually kind of perky. The rest are brown and kind of fallen off. Have, Have I tried to transplant it too late in the season? Probably so. Now it may survive, so I'm not saying get rid of it or anything, but I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of it this year. So just hopefully while the t- above-ground growth is not doing well because the whole feeder root system was torn up when you dug it up, so right. consequently it's not translocating nutrients and or moisture up to the leaves, that the root system is getting reestablished. And then next year that would be the time to make the decision, well, it didn't really make it. But, yeah, this is something, even crepe myrtle, you should do it early in the spring before the new growth begins. So okay. that yeah, would that's be, I thought, yeah, so yeah, it, it just, it's, it's such a hardy plant. It, it started way before the crepe myrtles I have bought at the box stores at home. Uh, just, it's just really healthy. I have, I have another question. I've got a, uh, I've got some, uh, saplings for some spruce from the Missouri conservation department. And I planted those in front. I've got one that, they're all growing well. One, though, is dead except for one bottom branch, uh, and the rest of it's dead, and it's only about two foot tall. What could have caused all that? Just doesn't have a really good root system. 
Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, again, even though, you know, they're from the conservation department or even if they were grown at a professional nursery or anything else, I'm assuming you got these as bare root plants. So, right. They came in uh, an know, envelope, basically. Well, yeah, kind of like a plastic wrap thing right. from the uh, Missouri. So. so, consequently, this particular one, even though you probably, when you looked at them, all the root systems of all of them look pretty much identical, this one just didn't really have a very good root system. Wow. So that's been like two or three years yeah. that this has happened. Now. I mean, the, the decline could take a while. If it was, okay. if they were, you know, if the root system was really bad, it wouldn't even survive the first year. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help and thank you again. Certainly. And, you know, again, all this is related to remember how screwy this weather has been for the last couple of years. We get flooded for a period of a couple months, then we go through a drought stress, and then. You know, newly installed plants, whether they're you know big, out of big containers or anything else, they still have to get their root systems established, and sometimes it takes a couple years for that to happen. So thanks, Ted. And now let's go to Jim. And Jim, oh, okay, let's go to John. John from Herman, Missouri. Hi, John. Hi, Mike. Uh, I got a couple of questions. Number one, I got a whole bunch of little boxwoods. They're about as big as I want them to be. Uh, but they're kind of shaggy looking. Is now a good time of year to trim those or not? No, because if you prune them now, the leaves that are on the tips that you'd be cutting off have been used to the sun. So it's kind of like if you, let's say, uh, wore a hat all the time and you know, you'd stopped wearing hats, your head would probably get sunburned or your face would or your nose would or whatever. So consequently, when you cut off the ends of these branches, you're going to expose some of the foliage further down that was shaded by the leaves that you've now cut off, and they're going to get sunburned. So no, this is not a good time to do it. When, when is the best time? Best, really, the earlier, you know, I mean, you can't put a calendar date on it. I don't like to do it going into wintertime because we don't know what our winter is going to be like. But sometime, let's say, after the 1st of April, the, before the new surge of growth comes, and then again before, you know, it starts getting hot. But this year, you know, got hot so because we, we skipped spring. So basically... Early on, let's say, you know, Valentine, not Valentine's Day, that's a little bit too early. But sometime in March, and then again, you know, again, after the new surge of growth happens. Okay. One more question about Japanese maples. I've got one that's at least 25 years old, very mature. It's about probably eight foot in diameter. And it's come out pretty good every year. Uh, and then I usually trim it early in the year to uh, because I don't want to get any bigger. Uh, this year... It came out maybe in, in spurts just here and there on certain branches, uh, and there was a whole bunch of leaves that came out like on the trunk and on the uh, some of the directly out of some of the main branches, not out on the ends of the smaller Ooh. branches. I, I know that's not a healthy looking thing. Right. Is that uh, is that dead because of uh, the weather? You think? Or it, what? You know, that's not a good sign. If a tree gets you know into a panic and starts pushing growth out in areas that it normally doesn't. That means right. it's desperate, and so that's what's happening, and so it's in a desperate circumstance. Now, all the maples, all the birch trees, and now all the beech trees all prefer to be you know, trimmed in the summertime. 
which, you know, that you go, well, you always say don't prune in the summertime because of the heat. Well, those right. three varieties of trees can be pruned. So if you want to go out and you don't necessarily have to cut off all the new growth, but if you've got tips of branches that don't have any kind of leaves on them at all by now, I'd go ahead yeah. and just get rid of them. They're dead wood and just kind of clean it up and keep your fingers crossed. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to Jim in East Alton. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Good. I've I've got an answer for the lady with the rabbit problem. Ah. Uh, Bob X B O B X. Uh huh. Um, it's a deterrent. Uh, four ounces in a quart size spray bottle. Spray spray the leaves, and you can get that at any market basket. Great. And basically, you, how often do you have to reapply it? Uh, I spray mine. I spray mine on my peppers and my green beans, and um, it lasts about a week, or until if it rains, then right. you got to go out when it dries up and spray it again. Right. Well, great. Well, thanks, thanks, Jim. Oh. And yeah, I mean testimonials on you know products that people know that have you know that work. So that certainly gives her an option of things to look at. Now let's go to John in North County. John, how are you? Pretty good, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have two questions. One is uh, I have a uh, a decorative pot that's 12 inches in diameter, and I have uh, some small artificial trees, one in each pot. And I like to take them out, if it can be done, and put the real tree in there. It, I was told that you can't do it because of the root is not enough uh, area for the roots to, to withstand winter. Yeah, 12 inches is pretty small, to be honest. The last two winters we've had have been pretty mild, so they would have probably been fine. It's Excuse me, it's the winters where we get severe cold. That's when there would be some major damage. Also, do these decorative pots have drainage holes in the bottom? Yes, they do. Okay, yes. so... I mean, you could try it. You could get some, I don't know what type of, you know, if you're looking at Alberta spruce, if you're, you know, what you're actually looking at, a you or something along that line, try it because you're going to be buying relatively small ones for a relatively kind of cheap price, let's say 5 or 6 or $7 each, and then if they don't make it, then you just put in new ones the following year. Yeah, because at the time, I got some nice-looking, very nice-looking artificial trees in there, you know. Right. It's, it's mostly for curb appearance, you sure. know. So uh, I, I could just let it stay and just, you know, live with that, you right. know. It, Absolutely. Um, and my last question is, on your sweet potato vines, can they be put in hanging pots and survive? Or do they have to stay in the sun constantly? They've pretty much, they're going to do better if they're in full sun most of the day. So if you put them in a hanging basket, I'm assuming you want to hang them underneath a porch or underneath a deck or something like that. That's where the problem's going to come in. And also, the again, the hanging, you know, the hanging baskets, the pots are relatively small. So it would be, a, you know, when it really gets hot like it is now, you may end up having to water a couple times a day because they're going to be really super wilted. So I don't necessarily, you know, recommend them for a hanging pot, but you could certainly try it. And But if they're not going to get full sun all day long, right. I'm not saying at least full sun for four or five hours a day. 
All right. And so if anything less than that, then the, uh, sort of the production of the foliage and everything else, the reason why you're growing them is not going to be as good as what you want. All right, then. Yeah. That answered my question. I really thank you for your service. Well, thank you for having me on your show. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Cubs tonight. Amron Total Access 620, first pitch 715. Following the game, it's live with Mike Claiborne and special guest Brian Jordan. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Join KMOX at Parita Farms this weekend for the Country Time Barbecue and Bluegrass and Brews Festival featuring the Kids Country Carnival. Enjoy live music, games for the kids, a special appearance by Billy the Bronco and Scarecrow, magic shows, bounce houses, food trucks, pony rides, and adoptable pets. This event runs from 9.30 a.m. till 3.30 p.m. each day. The event is pet-friendly, admission is free, no reservations necessary, and parking just $5. Get more details now at KMOX.com. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Out to O'Fallon and Dee Dee, how are you today? Okay, how are you, Mike? Very good. Good. I have a question. Um, which type of sprinkler is the most efficient to use? Uh, like a fan sprinkler or the spray or the squirting? or? I think more so than which one you choose to use is how you use it. So in other words, okay. the length of time and you know factors along that circumstance. Okay. So it's, you know, personally, I like the ones, this is only personal. I have some soaker hoses for the backyard because it's relatively small. So I just wind the soaker hoses all the way across the yard and, you know, run them for an hour or so, soak it deep into the ground. So that's, and I do that probably twice a week depending upon okay. if there was rainfall or not. So 45 minutes to an hour, twice a week when it's really, really dry. Or, you know, in the front yards, and I have, I like the things that spin. So it's just a okay. personal choice. It doesn't really matter. Okay. It's the length oh. of time that you're running them, and whether it's in-ground, you know, uh, irrigation system or anything else. That's what's most important. Making sure you put enough water onto the top of the soil that it can penetrate down into the soil and get to the root system. It just doesn't evaporate. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Sure. Thank you for having me on your show. Let's go to Florissant and into Jean's yard. Hi, Jean. Good morning, Mike. How Hi. are you doing today? Good. Good. I have two questions for you regarding trees, big trees, old trees. Um, the first question, and I'm I'm sure you've talked about this before, are those horrible Burrs or yeah, galls, G A L L S. Are they going to kill those my trees? I mean, ultimately, what happens is a lot of times you can have so many galls on them, and what you know, the gall can just suppress. In other words, the the end of the branch beyond where the gall is, and those can drop off. So that becomes problematic as far as the number of leaves a tree has. Okay. Also. You can have so many galls on certain branches, you could cause some cracking, and then when it rains, water can get into the cracks and cause some heartwood rot that way. So there's, there's factors that can physically cause damage to the tree, but the galls in and of themselves do not kill. Okay. It, it's what happens if things happen. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. The second one involves another big old tree. Um, the neighbor was having a tree take down. The neighbor across the street from me was having a tree taken down. It, the big thing got away from the company that was taking it down, 
and it came across the street and took out two of the my huge branches in my tree. Well, obviously, they cleaned it up. My question is, there's a third branch that kind of looks like it's by itself. It's about a 12-inch diameter branch, so it's a good size. It literally provides the only shade for the front of my house. My son said I should have it taken down also. To me, it would look like the tree was lopped off on one side. I'm Will it hurt if I leave it on or take it off either way? Is there a good or bad thing to do? There is a bad thing to do. So if you've already lost two major branches, yep. I mean, you have to realize that the amount of foliage, the amount of leaves is in direct relationship to the root system. So okay. they have a symbiotic relationship. So you got to have an equal amount of leaves as you do roots, basically. I mean, that's I'm kind of making it simplified. But so in other words, if you take, let's say, somebody came in and they had to put in a new water line or something and they tore up all the root system on your tree, that would do major damage to the above ground growth. Sure, Consequently, you know, losing a major pro, you know, portion or a huge you know, quantity of leaves, that's going to do damage to the tree overall as well because what happens, nutrients and moisture come up from the root system, they go to the leaves, and the leaves use sunlight to make food. And that shares of food with all the rest of the tree. So if you've already lost a big portion of the leaves, I would say, you know, let this you know branch stay as long as it's not been damaged, it's not cracked or anything else. No, but, it, uh, it's, it, it missed it completely. Yeah, so the only disadvantage is it may not make any difference at all because you've already lost two major branches. So I may lose the tree. Exactly. Yeah, it would now, be a slow process. It wouldn't oh, be something that would happen overnight by any oh, means or I, even I over a year. Okay. Okay. And and if I'm going to lose it, I watch for leaves dying, right? Well, probably that. And just look for the quantity of leaves that are existing on the tree now. Okay. And then next year's make sure that you're at least getting that quantity of new le- of the you know new leaves emerging from the buds. Gotcha. You start to see a decline, then that means you know things are just out of kelter or uh, whatever, and consequently the tree could be on the downhill slide. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Sure. Right. Bye bye. And Mary in Manchester, could you do it kind of quickly? Yes, I just. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted I was intrigued by the guy who called about the crepe myrtles before. I I wanted to let him know that I have transplanted crepe myrtles in the fall. I've had a crepe myrtle that I've moved around my yard. It grows these little shoots. Uh, we've transplanted them at the end of the summer when they've gotten finally big enough where they look like they'll survive. Right. Transplanted them in the fall, watered them really good, and then hoped for the best. And over the years, several of them have actually lived. That's so I great. Just to pass that along. Yeah. Yeah, and the so, fall is really a good time to do that because the ground is warm, and that encourages new root system development. So of yes, the transplant. Yes. So that's a you know, that's sort of the advantage of fall versus spring planting. In the spring the ground is so cold, the root systems, whether it's a transplant or something you're pulling out of a pot, just can sit there depending upon, you know, how long it takes for the you know, the sunlight to come and warm up the soil to encourage root growth. Yep. Well I just wanted to pass that along since he obviously has a very healthy crepe myrtle and they are they are tentative in St. Louis, and I wanted to let them know we've been working on it for a while. <laughs> Great. Well, nothing teaches like experience. Yep. That's <laughs> so, it. Thanks. 
Yes, thanks, Mary. And thanks to everybody for calling in this first hour. We do have a second hour of the Garden Hotline, the tip of the trial hour. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can call. Greg will get you online. You know, not online. He'll get you on the computer screen, and we can get to you first come, first serve. So it'll be Jenny, Anne Marie, and Sandra will be the first callers in the next hour. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.